Hey, I'm Dawn Tree. Welcome to Atypical Parenting, the podcast for people who love someone who's autistic. I believe that it is high time that we as parents and loved ones started focusing on ourselves and how we can change as we strive to support the people that we love. I am so glad you're here with me. Together, we're taking the steps necessary to change the way the world looks at autism. Please don't forget to take a second to rate and review Atypical Parenting wherever you're listening. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey, today we have Randy Hain with us. He's the father of an autistic son and also a strong autism advocate, particularly as related to incorporating autistic people and the really strong skill set that they bring to the workplace. Randy's also an author of nearly a dozen books, which is super impressive. And we are so glad you're here with us today. Thanks, Dawn. It's an honor to be here. Do you want to start out just by sharing a little bit about yourself and your family? Absolutely. So I've been married for 29 years to my wife, Sandra, and we've got two boys, 126. My older son, Alex, has special needs. He's on the autistic spectrum. My younger son, Ryan, is 22. I'm an executive coach and a leadership consultant. I live in Atlanta and write books and very active in the nonprofit community, especially causes related to promoting autism advocacy in the workplace. It sounds like that sort of is your special focus when it comes to your advocacy. Why do you think that's an important area to focus on? Well, you know, I think like probably a lot of listeners for your show, my wife and I went through just sort of the growing pains of trying to figure out how to adequately raise our son with special needs and help him be successful and independent. But one of the things that we gravitated to when he was a teenager was helping him be independent. So we were able to help him get a job when he graduated from his high school. We decided that college was not a good fit for him because of just some his quirkiness and some challenges that he had. So we focused on employment and he was able to land a job with a global retailer based here in Atlanta. And he's been there for over seven years. But we saw immediately after he got his job how it helped him with his confidence. He was able to work on his people skills. He was surrounded by people that really cared about him. And we just noticed an immediate change in our son that still manifests itself to this day. So we are big believers in employment, really helping adults on the spectrum to find their place in society and I think reach greater independence. Yeah, I agree. I think everybody, no matter what your life situation is, needs some sort of purpose. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Did you know anything about autism before your son was born? Very, very little. You know, as you'll recall, looking back 24 years ago when he was diagnosed, you know, it, it seemed even then to be a little new to everybody. And we certainly had heard of it. But when our son got the diagnosis, I'll never forget it. My wife and I were sitting there stunned for a few minutes. I think we knew in our heart that he had it because we had seen the delays and the, the speech delay and everything was delayed with him. But when we heard the doctor say the words, you know, we just kind of were numb for a minute. And then we looked at each other and said, you know, he's our son. We love him. Let's give him all the care that, that he needs and help him be successful. So I think we didn't know a lot about it, but we quickly educated ourselves. I think we probably have read every book known to man on autism, but we had to go create a village to help us. And we went out and, and screened doctors and therapists and found the right ones and, and built just this group of caregivers around our son. 
And from them, we learned a lot. You know, we learned a lot about what his needs are in terms of his speech, how to help him with some of his physical challenges. We learned a lot from them and we're still learning. We're, we're never going to say that we figured it all out. That's what I find. I find it's always this process of ebbing and flowing, you know, mm-hmm. and as soon as, you know, when things are going well, it's wonderful and amazing, but things shift and change and my son mm-hmm. matures and grows. And it's, then it's like, you know, you have to learn all over again. So it is, I agree with you. It's an ongoing learning process. Mm-hmm. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that we learn from Alex all the time. I mean, Alex is the greatest instructor in our family and he's my role model and hero. I think he faces a world every day that's alien to him and he does it with grace and a smile on his face. I know exactly what that means when you say that on my end of the world, but can you tell me what you mean when you say that, that your son teaches you every day? There are two things that come to mind. So you think about what it would be like to get up in front of a thousand strangers and speak like that gives a lot of people dread. It makes me nervous and I do it professionally sometimes. Well, years and years ago, about nine years ago, Alex had an opportunity to be a lector in our parish, which means he gets to read scripture to a thousand people and he trained for it. He practiced, he practiced, he practiced, and he got up there and he was a natural And it was just so impressive. To this day, people still talk about it. He still does it every four weeks or so. But to this day, people remember the first time he got up there. And it was just one of the most inspiring moments I've ever seen. So I think just facing that fear that other people have and getting past it with his challenges and doing so well is very inspiring. And then I just think about his job. You know, he works with the public every day. And sometimes that can make a lot of us nervous, but he gets out there and helps customers and does his thing. And he just shows up with a lot of courage and a great attitude every day in his job. And I look at those two examples. There are many, but those are two that come to mind that just inspire me. So I'm so impressed by that because I see people that are typical that struggle to do both of those things. You mentioned church. Yes. I personally have had a difficult time raising an autistic child in organized religion. Can you just share a little bit about what it's been like for you raising your son in the Catholic church, right? Sure. Absolutely. From our experience, it's been wonderful. And we have a special needs program at our parish. We have a coordinator that does nothing but work with special needs families. We have at least six very different programs for children and young adults. Alex still works at the parish on Mondays with another adult on the spectrum doing administrative tasks. So we have a program and resources. We probably have about 70 kids in the parish that are in this program. So for us, it's been a blessing and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I know that's not everyone's experience, to be fair, but I know in our experience and in the archdiocese where we live in Atlanta, we have archdiocesan level programs and resources that support other parishes as well. That's amazing. Do you think that's a common thing in the Catholic Church or is it sort of unique to your area? You know, I was on the board of the National Catholic Partnership for Disability for a period of time. And so I had a chance to look on a national level what that looks like. I can't speak globally, but nationally, I think that there are other dioceses like Atlanta with similar programs. I think there are some that just don't have the resources and they're really struggling. So I think it's all over the map. Where we live, we're very blessed, very fortunate. But again, I know that's probably not the experience everyone's had. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, my son's a bit older than yours, so high-functioning autism wasn't really a thing people recognized. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all of those emotional outbursts and whatnot were seen in a very different light, you know. And unfortunately, the church, at least the church that I was going to, which was a non-denominational, they believed in raising your kids very strictly. Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't work with an autistic kid. And nobody knew he was autistic. And there was a lot of judgment, a lot of mm. really ignorant remarks and whatnot. So mm. it's been hard. But I do think there are so many people who are longing for religion mm-hmm. that just don't feel comfortable bringing their special needs child or their autistic loved one to a church for fear of being judged or ostracized or whatever. So it's so amazing to hear you talk about the programs in your church. We even have a sensory room that is at the back of the main church where people that are uncomfortable being around their fellow parishioners can go. They can make as much noise as they want. They still participate in the mass, uh, but it's a, a sensory room that helps them serve the challenges that they've got. But, you know, our parish community is very welcoming and we've been there for 17 years and I know these programs have existed the entire time we've been there. So, again, we feel very fortunate that it's a welcoming environment for our son. Yeah, that's awesome, because I think that brings another sense of security for people sometimes. I agree. So I understand you have written a whole bunch of books. Yeah, I uh, I do love to write. You know, my full-time profession is executive coach and consultant, but I've always had a passion for writing. And probably in my early 40s, I just indulged that bug and started writing. I have a very conversational style. If you read my stuff, it feels like we're having coffee together and I'm very practical. So I just found that that was a style that, you know, my audience was looking for. So I've written some books on faith. I've written some books on leadership. I've written a book recently on mindfulness and reflection and being fully present with other people. I've even written a book to encourage the fathers of special needs children. It's called Special Children Blessed Fathers, and it's on Amazon. But if I have an interest in a topic, and if I think I've got something to say, I'm very intentional and very self-disciplined. I get up very early in the morning. I write almost every day, and I journal a lot. So I typically give my writing at least an hour a day. And in the margins, on the side, I somehow produce books. Don't ask me how I do it. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing because, you know, you have two children, a wife, a home, a job, a pretty demanding job, it sounds like. It's, It's pretty impressive that you've written that many books. Thank you. I usually write before they wake up in the morning. So that's awesome. But, you know, I think everybody has to figure out what is it that you have to offer the world. And if this is something that helps people, and I think it does, I will keep doing it. I'm not worried about numbers or mass appeal, but if one person reads my work and says it helped them, then it's worth it. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about the podcast. So I was reading your most recent book, which is titled Being Fully Present. And for me, it's a great title because I struggle with that. You know, my brain tends to spin in a lot of different directions at any given time. And it's hard to be present. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, my son really needs me to be fully present and focused on him in order to connect in a meaningful Mm -hmm. way. So I think your topic is phenomenal for this new book. Thank you. I'm working on another leadership book that comes out in the spring, but over the summer, I'm a very intentional journaler. I've filled up 24 journals in 20 years. 
And over the summer, I was going back through them and I usually write down meaningful moments, things that happened to me. And I found about 25 stories of my life, things that really changed my life, things that really were monumental moments. And I collected the best of them, maybe 15 or 16. And then this year, after I got the idea for the book, I started writing down in real time stories that have happened this year to me. And I put together 23 of these true stories. Some of them involve faith, some family. One is a visit to the Duomo in Florence, Italy, (laughs) and and everything in between. But I believe in authenticity. I'm a big believer in that. And these stories are things that really happen. And wherever I'm at or whatever I'm doing, I put it in the book. And it seems to be really resonating with people. So I'm I'm glad you're diving into it. Yeah, I have been enjoying it. Absolutely. And it's the chapters, like you said, they're casual and easy to get through. So I've been reading them at night before I go to bed. So I feel like it, I ruminated on them as I fall asleep. So it's been nice. Do you have a favorite story out of this most recent book? You know, I do have a favorite story and it might surprise you. It's actually the last chapter of the book. So earlier this year, I was having dinner with my older son, Alex, and it was just guys night out. And we were having dinner at one of our favorite restaurants And we're chatting and just talking about, you know, Peloton and and music and movies, all the things he likes to talk about. And I noticed at at a table parallel to ours, an older gentleman was seated. And I want you to picture Robert Frost when he was really, really old. That's exactly what this gentleman looked like. So Robert Frost near the end of his life. So he sat down and I just, I looked at him for a second. Then I focused back on Alex and our conversation. Then his dinner came along with a glass of wine. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye that he raised a glass, raised the glass with a trembling hand, and he made a toast to the empty seat in front of him. And it was really just one of those profound moments. I was like, nobody saw it except for me, I think. And I just was really interested in why he did that. Well, our server came over. And she had a lot of information, more than I expected. But I said, I'm really curious, who is this gentleman? I just, do you know anything about him? And she told me that he had been coming to the restaurant for years. He used to come with his wife. She had heard that his wife had passed away several months ago. And then he had just started coming back to the restaurant by himself. So I was just blown away by this man making a toast to this empty seat that used to be occupied by his wife. What was his life like? What was she like? I was just thinking about all these things in in like a few minutes. Well, I wanted to do something for this man. I didn't want to bother him. I didn't want to intrude on his, his moment. But I asked the server for our check, but I also asked for his check. And I wrote a little note on it that just said, from one of your Roswell neighbors, we live in Roswell, I just wanted to do something kind for you this this evening. I hope you have a great night. Take care. Just something innocuous. But I wanted him to just have an act of kindness that night. And um, I didn't do it to make myself feel better. I just wanted to let him know in some way that he really made an impression on me. And as I was walking out with Alex and getting in the car, you know, it dawned on me that, you know, we all probably have people that we've lost. You know, the human journey is one that inevitably leads to loss, to death. And I was just thinking about the people that I had lost, my mother, 12 years ago. And that chapter is all about just that 15-minute experience with this older gentleman. 
And I challenge the reader at the end of the chapter to every night try to raise a toast to an empty seat in silence to the people that you've lost in your life. And uh, it's my favorite chapter. It was a brief story, but it really made a mark on me. Do you make a practice of that now? I do. Absolutely. Uh, Thanksgiving, we toasted a lot of people that we have all lost over the years when our family was together. Yeah, that's nice. I think about my mother daily, but I've been much more conscious about, you know, raising a toast to her and and just thinking about her over meals. So if nothing else, he uh, brought her to the fore and she was a very special woman and I miss her a lot. Yeah, losing your parents is one of life's greatest losses, I think. It is. You never understand until it happens. I remember I was a young nurse and I ran into this fellow who was one of my patient's sons and his Mm. mom had since passed. And he said to me, oh man, I still think about my mom every day. And it had been maybe a year or two. And as a young nurse with two living parents, I thought, man, get a life. (laughs) How ridiculous. You know, and now I've lost both my parents over the years. And and you're right. You think about them every day. It's it's just, it's one of those cases where you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And I think that is really something in autism that's a big deal is that there's a lot of people out there who just don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And it makes it hard for parents. You know, if we want to get a little philosophical here, I don't know if this is your experience, but when our first son was diagnosed and he's three years older than his younger brother, we didn't get to experience some of the typical things that you do with a child who's typical. You know, so there was no football or baseball or, you know, going to ball games. Those are not things that Alex enjoyed. So we had to find different things with Alex. So, you know, maybe as a parent, if you have a child is diagnosed, sometimes we can superimpose our expectations on our children. And unfortunately, many parents feel disappointed when those expectations are not met. But my encouragement to your listeners is we have to find different things that we can value and love about our children. You know, Alex and I go hiking all the time. We love to go hiking. We love Thai food. We love putt-putt. So we have found over the years the things that we like to do together. But, you know, if you're listening and you have a child with special needs, meet your child where they are. Find something that you enjoy together. My younger son and I do sporting events. We go to Marvel movies together. We do that stuff. But my older son and I have a different way of connecting and I wouldn't trade it for anything. When you talk about that, about meeting your kids where they are, it reminds me of this chapter 14 in your book where it's titled, The Difference an Hour Can Make. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about that chapter? Yeah. So um, I've struggled with uh, being a workaholic for much of my life. I've gotten much better, but it's not something that you ever get rid of. It's a little bit like alcoholism, I think. And several years ago, my younger son was 13 and it was the day after Christmas. And unfortunately, I had a couple of things I needed to do because I own my own business. And I had a couple of things that I needed to take care of. One meeting that got canceled And I was thinking as I was driving from this meeting that got canceled at the last minute, do I go home? Do I go to my office and do some work? I just was thinking about that. I couldn't even believe I was wrestling with it. And then I said, you know what? I really need to go home and just be with my family and not work for the rest of the vacation break. So I went home 
and I pulled into the driveway and my 13 year old was playing basketball. We gave him a basketball for Christmas. He was shooting baskets. And much like fathers and sons do, I just joined him. We didn't say a word. We just started playing basketball together. And then all of a sudden, it was probably 30, 40 minutes into shooting basketball. He said, dad, can we talk about that kid who killed himself a few months ago? And he was referring to the high school that's near our home. A young man had taken his own life. And we had spoken about it at our dinner table with the boys because everybody knew about it. And we wanted them to have a safe place to talk about it. Alex was not really attuned to it, but Ryan was very interested. Well, the weeks go by and we get to this day after Christmas and he still wanted to talk about it. And so we talked about, you know, why this young man had taken his life, what his family must have felt like. I asked him how he was feeling. I wanted to make sure that he wasn't having similar thoughts. I mean, we covered a lot of ground in the hour that we were together out there. And at the end, I know he felt better. I mean, he, he said, thanks, Dad, this really helped me. And the, and the chapter is about, I had a choice. I could have driven to my office and done worthless emails for an hour. I could have done something that was not the least bit productive, but I made a choice to be with my family. And I'm so grateful that I was there for that hour with my younger son. And that's the difference an hour can make. Our choices, you know, make a big difference. So that's what it's about. And it's about the fruit that came from a different choice. And if you're listening, I bet everybody has the opportunity daily to make choices. And maybe we need to think more about maybe my family needs me right now. Maybe a friend needs me right now. And that's what it's about. Yeah, I love it. It's such a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Are there other ways that you found to be effective in being fully present with your children? You know, I think it starts with prioritization and time. You know, if you're a busy business person, man or woman, you know, we all have things to do to make a living. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I really prioritize my time with my family. So I make sure that dinner time is sacred. Weekends, I don't work. Evenings, I try to make sure I cut off work at a decent hour. But dinner time, taking walks together, going to movies together, you've got to be intentional. So we plan all of, we play games at night. And for years, we've had this sacred family time that we don't violate. We take trips together. But all of that has to be intentional and it has to be planned. So yeah, work will take up as much time as you want. It will take all of your time if you let it. But you have to ask yourself, what are your priorities in life? I can only speak for myself, Dawn, but for me, it's God, family, and work. Work is three. So that's how I order my life. And that's how my family gets the best of me because I give them my priority. They're a priority. Yeah, that's amazing. Also, I turn my phone off at night. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. That's a very good one. So, you know, you've been through this, your son's in his mid-20s, and if you had the ability to just give one piece of advice to parents who are along this journey that you've gone through, what would you say? So I'll try to be brief, but there is something I've always liked to share, and I'll share it with your audience now. We can all wish for things to be different. I wish my son didn't have autism. I wish things were easier. I wish people understood. 
I wish people weren't so judgmental. I wish my son had a job. We could wish, 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 wish. But we also need to practice acceptance. This is the gift that we've been given. God gave us this gift. And he's an amazing gift. And I need to spend less time worrying about what could have been and spend more time on what I've got. And I have a great young man who's been given to me and my wife. We love him with all our heart. And we have got to celebrate all the great things that come from having our son with special needs. So I guess the thing that I would impart to your audience is practice acceptance. We can all wish for things that we don't have, but the gift you have is the gift you have. Accept it, you know, spend time with the gift and make something amazing. Uh, We have an amazing life with our son and quite frankly, wouldn't trade it. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, there's definitely difficulties, but there's so much joy as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been amazing chatting with you. Where can people find you if they're more interested in uh, connecting with you or perhaps getting your books? Um, Probably the best place to go is my company website, which is serviampartners.com, S-E-R-V-I-A-M, partners.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. I write about business stuff. You can connect and learn about my books. That's really the only social media that I use publicly, but my website and, and LinkedIn would be the best places to go. And everything I write is on Amazon. Awesome. Thank you. Hey. Thank you so much. Thanks for having I me, Dawn. appreciate it so much you spending time with my me. My pleasure. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you know that I appreciate you spending your time here because I know there's a lot of other places that you could be. Quick shout out to my editor extraordinaire and co-producer Sam Eisenbaum. If you found value in this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you could just rate and review it on your podcast platform. Now get out there, keep learning and growing so that you can be the best version of yourself as you support the people you love. That's what this podcast is all about. 